Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach tip of the day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, my next guest is uh, is here, ready to join us. He is Bob Reitblatt from Mainsail Consulting Group. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about uh, this, this group. They are um, in the knowledge transfer business. And today we're going to spend a little time talking about innovation. I've been looking forward to this interview quite a bit, so let's bring him on. Uh, Bob, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for joining me today. Bill, thank you very much. I appreciate taking uh, your time to get me on here. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, and I, I'm intrigued by the topic, and I'd like to hear uh, first, and I think our listeners would, tell us a little bit about you and your background and how you came to start uh, Mainsail Consulting Group. I'm your typical serial entrepreneur, which means I get bored easily. I've started, uh, founded or co-founded a dozen different companies, all of which I have sold off other than my consulting business. And it's, I like the challenge of coming up with ideas, implementing the ideas, and then helping other people develop uh, their ideas. Most of my companies are somehow using high technology, but I've never considered myself in the high technology business. I just happen to understand it, so I use it to my advantage. Well, that's great. Um, and so... Uh, when you started Mainsail, tell us a little bit about what you folks do and uh, what your your primary uh, type of client looks like. My, my, my consulting practice is focused on helping leadership develop capabilities. One of those major capabilities, of course, is innovation. We work with typically B2B, $5 million to about $500 million in revenue. When they're smaller than that, they typically don't have the resources to accomplish what we want to accomplish. And when they get bigger than that, I have found the politics is just too heavy for me to deal with, so I prefer to stay away from it. We're all about helping people just get better at what they're doing. Makes sense. And so when you, when you work with a client, and of course innovation is so critical for an organization's success, uh, why do so many attempts at innovation fail most of the time, people either the top person, CEO, comes up with an idea and falls in love with the idea and then puts a lot of effort into developing the idea, or they ask people, hey, what ideas do you have? And then they put a lot of time, money, and effort into developing those ideas, and they fail because those ideas are not focused on solving any particular problem. They, they essentially develop a key, and then they search for the lock that it fits, and that is just so backwards and that's unfortunately why two-thirds of all new products and services fail, why about 90% of new startups fail, because they're not solving a real problem. 
So, uh, but but people continue to try. So so, what's your role in that? How do you how do you help um, businesses and individuals um, kind of unlock their innovation? We get them to first gain insight to understand what problem, what pain, what opportunity their their clients, their prospects are looking for, and then search for a solution that solves that pain that takes advantage of that opportunity. So we turn the process on its ear instead of asking for ideas first, we gain insight first. Let me give you an example. Maybe you've heard of the Segway, the little two-wheel scooter. When the Segway was released, the inventor said, we're going to sell 10,000 vehicles a week. The problem is, who's going to buy it? So the Segway has been this big failure. They geared up to sell all these these vehicles, but what value does it deliver? What outcome does it deliver for other than a handful of people? And I think that was Segway's downfall. We've seen it so many times. So I help clients to go, stop. Let's find out whose pain we're solving, whose opportunity we're taking advantage of first, and then coming up with a solution that actually solves that challenge. Unfortunately, most companies start with, well, this is, we're in the VCR business. We're in the scooter business. So how can we sell more scooters? And customers don't want your products. They want solutions. They want capabilities. And the better we can get our clients to see that, the better we can get your listeners to see that, the more successful they are, they are likely to be. If, you, if we were to build out a, a model of a, of a pyramid, for instance, um, would so is what you're saying the the bottom portion the bulk of the work um, that it sounds like most people fail to do and that maybe that's why they fail would be to really gain that insight into what customers and prospects really need and and, and what are some of those those steps to that I mean I can think of like focus groups and and in, or is it is it brainstorming to start with or talking to a lot of people or what are some of the common first steps there. Bill, you're absolutely right that the base of the pyramid should be insight, not ideas. And we gain that insight by a process I call purposeful observation. That means going and hanging out with your customers, hanging out with your prospects in their environment and watching them as they interact with what they're doing today, as they interact with your products, if you're already selling something, as they interact with your competitors' products, to really understand where their frustration lies what opportunities exist. My hang-up with focus groups is that mm-hmm. buyers are essentially liars. They'll tell you what it is mm-hmm. they think you want to hear, but they have a really hard time telling you what they want tomorrow. They want doesn't yet exist, or if they don't believe it is even possible. So asking them mm-hmm. is certainly better than not asking, but asking only gives a, a small portion of the knowledge we need to move forward. We really need to watch and observe and then ask questions like, well, why did you do that? Why did you do this workaround? Or why did you not use that cool feature we thought was going to be the killer app? That's the way to gain insight. Now, it seems like, um, I love what you're saying. It seems like a lot of uh, change is happening very quickly in consumer habits and trends and technology and and how and why people feel about things. How often should business owners or uh, innovators come back to this process? Is it is it continual uh, as things change? I mean, we've seen so many so many consumer trend changes in the last uh, several years. 
many people think that the future suddenly appears, but it doesn't. The future develops constantly. So if I'm developing a new product and a new service, I'm, I'm going to go to my customers, my prospects, and do a, a real in-depth observation of maybe four or five customers. One's not enough. Ten's too many. So somewhere five or six is the magic number. But I want everyone in my organization to have their eyes and ears open constantly, not just when we're doing a sales call or a service call, but every person should keep their eyes and ears open for something the customer says or something they see the customer do or something they don't do that we expect them to do and constantly be feeding that into the loop. Insight is cheaper and much more valuable the earlier we get it. So I don't want to spend time and money developing and fine-tuning products that we've thought of on our own. I want to fine-tune products throughout their entire uh, product life cycle. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, uh, one, of, one of the points I think I was uh, alluding to is that it seems like the cycle of change has shortened um, dramatically from, from what it used to be. So depending on the product or the need or the service, um, uh, innovators uh, – can't sit on it too long before they better get out to market because their whole marketplace might change in in the balance of time. Did you see what I'm saying? Like with technology and things like that. I was reading somewhere, I don't know if it was uh, an Elon Musk quote or someone like that that just said, "You get it out there, get it out there first, and then and then figure things out." But I mean, there's got to be a balance. You know what I'm saying? From from uh, thinking about it too long and then letting the opportunity slip by or someone else comes up and develops that opportunity. I agree. There's many people who said, you know, build it, ship it, fix it. My challenge with that is we're coming with ideas in a vacuum and throwing out and see what sticks. Mm -hmm. And those have a very short life cycle because if something hits, we need to run with it before someone else throws it against the wall and sees if it sticks from them. I mean, our competitors aren't standing still either. But if we take the time mm-hmm. to gain insight first, then the mm-hmm. product that we likely release for test market is much more likely to solve the challenge it's meant to solve. Mm-hmm. So I like the idea of innovation sprints, but it, it's solving a problem that we've yet to identify. The better we identify the target, the more likely it is we're going to hit it. Makes complete so, sense. Yeah. Can you give us – I'm sorry. I was once we say, come up with an idea – Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt your, your thought. I was going to say, once we come up with an idea, then we certainly should get it out there because if we've gotten the insight, it is possible our competitors are also investigating trying to gain that same insight. So we want to get to the market. But let's slow down the process a little bit and gain insight first instead of just let's get 100 products out the door and see which one maybe is a hit. Right. I would like better right. odds than one in a hundred. Makes makes complete sense. Can you give us a like a a client example or a, a success story that of someone you've worked with and that helps kind of illustrate the point you're making? Yeah, a hydraulic hose manufacturer out in California. Hmm. Now, Good one. Really, okay. who who wants to own a hydraulic hose? Nobody. So they would lower their price by 50 cents to try to gain market share, and the competitors would lower their price by a dollar, so they lower their price by $1.50. They're in a race to the bottom. Probably sounds pretty familiar. 
they asked me to come out and do a workshop for them to do two things. One, identify what outcomes their customers were really looking for, and two, to come up with a strategy to be more successful going forward. The first thing I did was identify the outcome. What it comes down to is hydraulic hose buyers don't buy hoses. What they really want is their machines to run. When machines are down, revenue's down. So they're looking for maximum uptime. Our strategy was to build indestructible hoses, not cheaper hoses, more expensive hoses. They doubled the price and offered a guarantee that the hose ever breaks, they'll replace it at no cost. Not only were they able to get their new double price, they also gained market share because they weren't selling pieces, parts. They were selling the outcomes their customers were looking for. That's what makes the difference. I like it. That, that makes, that makes uh, total sense, and it's a great, um, great example for the type of people that might listen to this show. Um, and, and so it, it, it was stepping back and saying, hey, this is not all about price, this is really, and this is, we're, we're looking at the wrong identifiers or the wrong uh, needs of our clients. Yes. Right? And really Most stepping of the time back we from focus, that. Sorry. Most of the time we focus on outputs, our products, our services, what we make. What we should be focusing is on outcomes, what we make happen. If we focus on what we make happen, on outcomes, then we don't have to come up with 100 product ideas to see which one works. We come up with one or two because we know they're going to solve the problem at hand, and then we fine-tune them before we do a wide release instead of, okay, well, let's, let's sprint with li- realistically 20 or 30 and see which ones hit. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's terrific. Do you have any other examples like that? I thought that was very helpful. Uh, in addition to being a serial entrepreneur, I've, I also do turnarounds on, on an occasional basis. I was working with a company. I took over a company that sold little electrical parts. And mm-hmm. the, the client was buying 100 a week. Suddenly, we get a PON that they raise their order to 500 a week. Now, most people would be pretty happy if their sales went up fivefold. I wasn't because I wasn't sure if the cost structure was correct on the sale. So I re- reanalyzed the cost and realized we were selling the, the product at about a 20% loss. I went to the customer and said, here's the deal. Uh, we can't fill your order at the new price. We can, or the new volume, we can keep it at the new, at the current price, at the current volume, till you find a new supplier. The client said, "Well, what's the problem?" And I said, "You know, here's the cost structure." Their their production manager happened to be in the meeting. He said, "You know, these go in overhead cranes, and the cost of bringing down the crane to replace the defective part is outrageously expensive. Your products never fail." We do have another supplier, but that supplier, their product fails 30% of the time. Hmm. So what price should it be? And I gave them a new price, which was about 40% higher than it had been. They said, no problem. You'll have a new PO by the time you get back to the office. Here again, the customer was smart enough to realize that their cost of failure was pretty high, and it was better for them to pay a premium price to get a premium product than to go with the low-cost provider. So they were just uh, they were looking at the whole situation um, incorrectly, and, and it, it took coming in with the whole, you know, what, what does your customer really want? What does your customer really need? Will they pay more for this, 
this product that doesn't fail. And uh, if you compare it to the cost of bringing that crane down, of course, of course, it makes a lot of sense to to do that. How about in situations like I'm working with several companies and they're looking at their uh, disruptions that are happening. Um, they're being displaced by 3D printers or, or other uh, uh, other types of uh, situations, and they just really need to step back and think, okay, what market can we dominate in? What can be what can we be in? What are some of the um, what, what are some of the steps for them to step back? Do, do you do you come in when you when you work with them and and uh, brainstorm and whiteboard this and and really break it down? Uh, or uh, do you, as you say, do you get back to the customers first and start asking them what are you looking for in the future? What's a good starting point there? Well, using your example of being displaced by the 3D printer, my function would be to really understand what the customer is looking for. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking if they're being displaced by a 3D printer, the customer is trying to be more agile, so they need something that can knock out a short run of product very quickly, not that it takes months or, or however it is in development and then production, which means we're not focusing on the needs of the customer and not focusing on their capabilities. So with that particular client, I would help them to be more attuned to what the customer's really trying to accomplish, what results they're looking for, not what product or service we could sell them. In general, I want customers to be attuned to what I call weak signals. The, the little hints that we get that the market is changing, that the market is developing. I want to know about those weak signals sooner than my competitors so I can be in front of the game. If I hear about a market change on a TV show or, or a podcast or on a magazine article, it's too late because my competitors are already tooling up for that change. I want to know sooner, which means I need to keep my eyes and ears open. If there's a bottom line to my whole time with you today, Bill, it's keep your eyes and ears open to what's happening around you, and mm-hmm. those clues will be available to you to essentially predict the future. But if we're too focused internally on what we think, what we want to accomplish, what our goals are, it is likely we're going to be the ones who says, hmm, I wish I would have thought of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. External focus, eyes, ears open. Great, great points, and uh, and I love the idea of uh, keeping your eyes and ears open. And that's a constant battle because things are changing so quickly all around us all the time. So it sounds like, and do you do you have uh, check-in sessions with clients on a periodic basis? For instance, just to just to say, look, uh, you know, you helped us identify uh, things that we were doing incorrectly in the past. Can you come back? Uh, Every every few months or so, and so let's let's take a look at a different product line or a different. It's a, it seems to me like your your engagements would be recurring, is what I'm getting at. Uh, they are. It is not unusual that I'll come in and do a workshop or a strategy session, and then come back again about three months later and go through again how to do it, the process for doing it, and also the results of them applying the process. It's amazing to me that I've had pretty large organizations have me come in and put on the same program more than once for the same people because they liked it and got so much value out of it. I suppose they thought they were just overloaded with information that they wanted the exact mm-hmm. same program again a few months later. Yeah, let's do it again. Uh, sometimes it's a couple well, be- years later. 
Because it it involves a, a changing way of, of thinking, and that just doesn't happen overnight. The problem is, like a lot of right. people that I know and myself, I go I go to a conference and I hear an idea, and then I get back into the swamp, <laughs> and and you know, and and it filters out in a short period of time. And I need to continually, I need to come back and hear it again. That's why I think that uh, again, change is constant, and uh, the pace of change is rapidly increasing. So it, it behooves people to stay on top of this type of thinking on a regular basis. And that's not always easy when you get back into the, uh, in, into the, the factory or the, you know, where, where you're working and you're dealing with uh, issues that, that require you to, uh, to just do and not think. So I, I, Bob, I agree with all that. Yeah. When my clients mm-hmm. ask me about that, I say, so you own this beautiful factory. Do you have insurance on it? Yes. Did you have to pay that insurance? Yes. Well, the time you set aside to listen, to pay attention for keys to the future is insurance for the long-term viability of your organization. If you're not protecting your future, someone's going to take it away from you. So take the, the hour a week or whatever it happens to be, whatever it needs for your industry to be looking ahead so you're not surprised by what's coming down the road. This is, uh, this is great information that every, everybody who's listening to this can use on a, on a regular basis is to remember to stay on top of the, the changes ahead. And uh, Bob Reutblatt has taught us uh, quite a few good lessons in this interview. I really appreciate it. Bob, how do our, our uh, listeners best get in touch with you? LinkedIn or my website, www.writeblatt.com, R-O-I-T-B-L-A-T.com. My email is easy. It's my first name at my last name, bob at writeblatt.com. And I note with interest that you are a, a Vistage speaker, and many of our listeners are Vistage members or chairs. And so if, uh, if they want to engage you, uh, do you, uh, do you travel to give speeches uh, to Vistage groups? I do all around the world, just talking to uh, Malaysia. So if you're on the line from Malaysia today, hi, talking to uh, Shirin just a little while ago. <laughs> Terrific. It seems like yes. a very interesting topic and, uh, and subject, and uh, I really appreciate the ideas that you brought to our listeners today, Bob. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I'd love to check in with you again and uh, you know, put an innovation uh, segment corner, if you will, into this show because I think it's important to continue to bring that um, information out to, to our listeners. I'm standing at the ready for you. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 